From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. I wish to put on record my sincere thanks uh, to the Attorney-General for not just taking steps to reform sexual consent law, but to put forward a reform that will actually make a difference. On Tuesday, the New South Wales Parliament passed historic reforms to sexual consent laws. The bill in front of us today is so important. This isn't about punishing perpetrators. It's about providing justice for victim survivors. A clear signal that we are not to blame for the actions that were done to us by other people. During the parliamentary debate, one MP, the Greens' Abigail Boyd, shared her own story. The impact of rape cannot be overstated. I have spoken in this place before about my own experiences of sexual assault. She also thanked survivor and campaigner Saxon Mullins, who kick-started the campaign to change the law when she appeared on the ABC's Four Corners program. I hope she knows how important her words, her honest sharing of her story and the way in which she has pursued this law reform has been for women and girls everywhere. Saxon, you gave me strength that night to start telling my own stories. Now, similar laws are being introduced in Victoria and advocates are calling for national reform. Today, campaigner and contributor to the Saturday paper, Saxon Mullins, on the push to update Australia's laws around sexual assault and why it's taking so long. It's Wednesday, November 24. Hi, Saxon. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Um, Yeah, I'm good. I'm really pleased to be talking to you about this today. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Mm. And I know that this is a topic that is personal for you. Do you think that you could start by talking to me about why that is? So uh, in 2013, when I was 18 years old, I was sexually assaulted behind a nightclub in Sydney's King's Cross. I went to the police the next day and uh, entered into what I was unaware would be a years-long legal battle that had two trials, two appeals, and ended with no legal outcome. The first trial, we had a jury and the defendant was found guilty. There was an appeal uh, that they won. We had a second trial that was judge alone and the judge found the defendant uh, not guilty And then we had a second appeal by the Crown and the appeal was upheld. So the court acknowledged that I had not consented, but the accused did not know that and his conviction was overturned because of that reason. Right. So there were a number of trials, but the end result was that the conviction was overturned and that was because the court found that the defendant didn't know that you hadn't consented. Can you tell me more about how that outcome is possible? What is the legal technicality that's underpinning that? So uh, in the current New South Wales laws and what were the laws at the time, um, a person commits sexual assault if they know the other person is not consenting, if they are reckless as to whether the other person consented or if there are no reasonable grounds for believing there was consent. But there's no requirement to determine whether the accused took any steps um, to find out if that person was consenting. So there is currently no affirmative consent model in New South Wales. And would you mind just explaining to me what affirmative consent means? What would an affirmative consent model be exactly? What's the best way to think about it? 
So the model of affirmative consent uh, asks that a person ascertains whether someone wants to have sex before and while engaging in a sexual act. So it just means that you are actively asking someone if they want consent and you are actively receiving consent from that person before and during a sexual act is going on. It sounds very technical calling it affirmative consent and, and describing it in this way, but really it's something that most people do already. It's just asking your partner if they want to be with you and them saying yes. Okay. And so once you started looking into the affirmative consent model, can you tell me about the steps that you took to try and advocate for changes to our legal system to reflect that model? Who did you speak to and how difficult was it to build momentum around this idea? On a social level, I think we need to teach people about making sure that the person that you are with wants to be with you. Enthusiastic consent is really easy to determine. <laughs> and I think, yeah, if you don't have that, then you're not good to go. Like, all you need to say... After I came forward with my story on an episode of Four Corners, uh, the New South Wales Attorney-General Mark Speakman announced the government would be um, asking the Law Reform Commission to review that section of the law. And so... I joined forces with some amazing minds in Dr. Rachel Bergen and Professor Jonathan Crow. Together we formed Rape and Sexual Assault Research and Advocacy, uh, and Rosara is a national organisation committed to reforming rape and consent laws across the country and advocating for the sexual wellbeing of all Australians. Hi, I'm Saxa Mullins, and I'm a survivor. Tonight we're here to talk about sexual violence and consent. So, you know, it involved a lot of um, submissions, uh, to law reform commissions. It involved a lot of raising awareness of, of what is affirmative consent and why it maybe isn't as scary as it might sound. You don't need um, any special degrees or diplomas. You can just have a chat and talk to your friends and your colleagues and your families about attitudes towards women and violence against women. And just general relationship and sexuality education awareness as well. We have all said, and we have said for many years, but specifically the last few weeks, um, relationship and sexuality education is definitely a must. Uh, it's not and what was it like for you personally embarking on that role as an advocate? Because I imagine with your own personal experience that is motivating, but it also comes with its own challenges. Absolutely. I think that's something that I think most advocates probably deal with in that you are the face of this thing because it is so personal to you. So it's really hard to find that balance between keeping it personal but also protecting yourself when you're trying to engage in this kind of advocacy. I sort of started this advocacy journey a few years after my assault, but not a very, very long time. And so still within that, I am trying to heal from my own experience. And so it's sort of this two sides of the same coin in going out and advocating for affirmative consent and making sure people understand it and everyone's on board, as well as thinking about my own experience and, and still having those reservations and those, those feelings that a lot of survivors have. But, um, you know, I, I think it was too important for me not to do. Mm, not an easy thing to do by any means. Was there a moment in which you felt things start to turn around where you started to realise that people in power were listening to you and that you were going to be able to affect change? Yeah, absolutely. So um, when the New South Wales Law Reform Commission um, released their final report, they didn't end up recommending affirmative consent. And that was 
really, really disappointing to us. Um, they they had a lot of, you know, great things to say in their report, but they just didn't go that step far enough. And I thought at the time, you know, if my trial was run today under these recommendations from the Law Reform Commission, it would likely have the exact same outcome. So what was all of that work for? But Rosara, Dr. Rachel Bergen and myself and members of Rosara met with the New South Wales Attorney General, Mark Speakman, and put our concerns to him. And, and so did many other groups and advocates put their concerns about what not legislating for affirmative consent would mean after this, you know, very long review that we had. And they listened. For decades, there have been calls for reform in New South Wales and in Australia and indeed across the world of how we handle sexual violence complaints. They, you know, called me at must have been 5.30 on a, a Monday night and I was not prepared for it at all. It's very simple. Consent has to be communicated by the other party saying or doing something. They listened to our, our concerns, they heard our points and they decided to legislate for affirmative consent in New South Wales. Today I announce that the New South Wales government is adopting or adopting in principle all 44 recommendations of the Law Reform Commission, but in one respect we'll be going further. Two key reforms will be in relation to consent, to make it clear that there cannot be consent unless the party in question has said something or done something to communicate consent. That was such a massive win and it was a really amazing feeling to think all of this work that we had all put in, all these experts, all these advocates, all these survivors had put in was actually going to make a difference. We'll be back in a moment. As a a 7am listener, you're already familiar with many of the journalists who work for the Saturday Paper. For a limited time, subscribe to Australia's leading independent news source, the Saturday Paper, and you'll receive the Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. For Sloane Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the possibility of a better ending. Like you have this amazing meal that's this friendship and then you have a really, 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 really bad dessert with shards of glass in it. And then like the book is like, you know, those little chunks of chocolate that come with the bill. I'm Michael Williams. Join me for this week's episode of Read This as I talk to Sloane Crosley about her latest Grief is for People. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Saxon, the New South Wales Parliament just passed new laws to implement affirmative consent. Now that that has happened, can you tell me more about them? What exactly will change? So the laws they're debating will mean that a person does not consent to sexual activity unless they say or do something to communicate that consent. Um, and an accused person's belief in consent will not be reasonable unless they said or did something to ascertain that consent. Um, and that's really the crux of the affirmative consent model that you can't rely on this, you know, mistaken belief, oh, I thought that she was consenting based on absolutely no evidence. Mm. Okay. And even though these laws have passed in New South Wales, they did face opposition. So what was holding back these reforms? Where was opposition coming from? And what do you make of the arguments against the affirmative consent model? 
There are, you know, individuals who are against these laws and, and I think chief among them in New South Wales was the New South Wales Bar Association. They were firmly opposed to um, reforming these laws uh, and, and when the Attorney General announced that they would be reformed, they uh, put out a, a release that said that the reforms were fundamentally misguided and could criminalise consensual sexual relations. Um, and that's something you hear a lot is that this will criminalise regular people having consensual sex, which I think is, you know, as an argument, I don't think it's very strong because, you know, consensual sexual relations are not what people are going to the police to report. Uh, If you're engaging in consensual sexual relations, there is no reason that the law would ever get involved. You know, we are not talking about two people enjoying themselves together. That's not, you know, what this law is dealing with. And I think, you know, it's like there's this idea that there's going to be checks, police checks at your door that, you know, every night, did you engage in affirmative consent last night? That's not how this law works. In fact, it's not how any of them work. Um, This is to deal with crimes. Mm -hmm. And we've spoken about New South Wales, but what about the rest of the country, Saxon? Is affirmative consent something that's likely to be adopted elsewhere? So uh, Victoria just last week announced that they would also be amending their laws to an affirmative consent model. Three states are now set to have affirmative consent laws applied to cases of sexual assault after the Victorian government announced new reforms. That was in response to recommendations from their own Victorian Law Reform Commission report uh, titled Justice System Response to Sexual Offences. The Law Institute of Victoria, which represents the legal fraternity, acknowledges change is needed to improve outcomes for victims. They also said they would include explicit laws um, against the removal of a condom during sex without the other person's knowledge, which is known as stealthing, and that they would develop a 10-year whole-of-government strategy to address sexual violence. Uh, So we'll wait to see what the legislation itself looks like, but we are cautiously optimistic about it. I think they were very clear in their messaging. The Victorian Attorney General said, to victim survivors, we hear you and the system must change. This is too important not to act. What I really like about this model is that it will take the onus off a victim in telling their story about um, being questioned about, well, what did you do in order to ensure that the perpetrator knew whether you were consenting or not? This will flip it. This means that the questions will be on the perpetrator. What did you do to ensure that... Tasmania has had affirmative consent laws for many years, uh, so they've been leading the way for a long time. But as for other states around Australia, uh, unfortunately... Uh, Most of them are stuck in the past. Unfortunately, the other states around Australia do not have affirmative consent laws. So hopefully, uh, you know, the movement we're seeing right now in New South Wales and in Victoria will help lead the way to pull the other states, you know, into the present. And Saxon, it's been, I think, about three years since your legal battle ended and about eight years since that night at King's Cross. And I wonder in that time how you reflect on the decisions that you've made, the decision to go public, to begin this journey in advocacy and the cost of all of that? I think it does change from day to day, you know, depending on on whether we've had a win or we've had a loss. I sort of wonder whether it would have been worth it, this whole journey. I think for the majority of the time, I land that It has been worth it absolutely every single second because we have changed so many things, not just this law, 
but we've changed how people think about sex. We've changed how people talk about affirmative consent. The New South Wales Legislative Assembly said that these laws were common sense laws. Like, I can't imagine hearing that, you know, however many years ago. So my personal journey has absolutely been worth it. But I think I will be absolutely solid on that thought every single day if we can, if we can end sexual violence. Saxon, thank you so much for your time and for talking to me about all of this today. Thanks for having me. With award-winning news coverage and reviews, The Saturday Paper is essential reading for everybody. For a limited time, subscribe to a year of our quality, independent journalism and you'll receive The Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup made in collaboration with Fresco for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. The Saturday Paper. No hot takes. Also in the news today... The Northern Territory recorded three new cases of COVID-19 on Tuesday, including one infant from Robinson River. The Australian Defence Force has been brought in to support a coronavirus testing blitz in Catherine and surrounding communities. There are currently 40 active recorded cases of COVID-19 in the Territory. And in New South Wales, an environmental activist has been sentenced to 12 months in jail for stopping a coal train in the Hunter region. Blockade Australia, the group organising the protests, said it was facing extreme measures by authorities to shut down its campaigns after the New South Wales Police formed a new strike force targeting illegal climate protests. Since the start of this month, at least 28 people have been arrested in relation to direct action taken by the activist group. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.